Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mask Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we are going to be getting into the Mavericks' recent seven-game win streak, how they've been able to hold up amidst a flurry of injuries to key rotational players, of course. It's been a very obscure seven-game win streak for the Mavericks. They have not really looked the best, and their strength of schedule has been very weak, to say the least. But the manner in which they have been able to persist throughout a really injury-riddled stretch has been impressive to say the absolute least. We also will be getting into uh, specifically, we're kind of going to more so highlight the last two games versus the Spurs and the Rockets, because I think to an extent, while the Mavericks were able to pull both of those out and we see yet another Luka 50-point haymaker against the Rockets, he's obviously just on another playing field right now, having one player of the week and player of the month. Yeah. Um, Chris Stapps won it in the East, which is the ultimate sort of a like juxtaposition or tomfoolery from the NBA, just like whatever sort of weird grammatical term you can uh, use upon what the NBA did with Chris Stapps winning player of the week in the East and Luca winning player of the week in the West. You can probably apply in this scenario, but nonetheless, um, it's been a pretty obscure stretch from the Mavericks recently in these these last two games the Mavericks have basically been able to tread water and yeah you know in that first half versus the Rockets Luca had a pretty rough outing and you could kind of tell that his workload started to finally catch up to him to an extent but we saw his reconciliation in the second half where he looked basically a lot more like he did in the Spurs game um, where he was just dissecting the defense and being able to split double teams, get around the defense on double screens, um, basically getting into the paint at will in whatever manner he really wanted to. I think that we saw him operate a little more in the mid-range in that Rockets game versus the Spurs game versus where he was just attacking. Yeah. So you can see the workload starting to catch up to him sometimes when he's settling a little bit more. But his stamina is at an all-time high this season, and he's attacking relentlessly more so probably than I've ever seen him. Um, so that's quite the revelation in terms of how Doncic has been able to dissect defense and just attack continually. And that's probably been my biggest takeaway over the last two games, you know, outside of the Mavericks, just being able to tread water no matter what the situation is. Like that's one characteristic of this team that has kind of stood out to me despite how weak the opponent is and despite how ugly these wins are and despite the lack of perimeter defense, the Mavericks have been able to um, really mail it in. And despite, you know, being down 19 or having to hold basically like a one or two point lead um, throughout the whole fourth quarter in that San Antonio game and not let anything slip through the cracks that, that much has been impressive to me. This just, uh, I guess from more of a mental perspective, their their yeah. willpower and their sustainability. But, you know, there obviously are a lot of holes and um, 
there's a lot of holes and there's a lot of, you know, indictments that we can look at upon the Mavericks in terms of, I mean, I, is it fair criticism? You know, you can debate that or not because of how many injuries they have, but there are a lot of indictments upon this team in this seven game win streak that I don't think would be normally applicable to teams that are on a seven game win streak. Um, what has your been your brief summation of Luca's outing just in these last two and amidst this whole win streak. And do you think that this win streak has a certain shelf life after the Mavericks have, you know, done this for seven games, but there's obviously been a lot of noticeable flaws. All right. So as the classic Kendrick Perkins uh, quote would be, was Luca's actually in shape this year. Now we know uh, that he's been in shape all year, but in games like this, you know, where the Rockets uh, he's shooting nine threes and really just kind of settling throughout the game. Uh, we kind of see where he's able to elevate his game and actually will the Mavericks to win this game down 19 points at one point. Uh, and really just through this whole entire seven game stretch, we've seen him play miraculous to say the least. Uh, I want to say like three 50 point games and maybe five or four of those um, games. He had 40 plus, um, you know, it, it's just really indicative of like what his sort of coming into this season, you know, how he's able to change this team uh, really in large part, these seven, this seven-game win streak is to him, or to his credit, I should say. Uh, now, through this seven-game win streak, you know, we've had a pretty bad strength of schedule. You know, we're playing teams like the Rockets, the Spurs. Uh, but even still, you know, the Mavericks willing away and finding a way to win these games is really important to me. You know, it, should we be down 19 against the Rockets? No, but still, the Mavericks are able to find a way to come back. And really, I think that's just the the most impressive part is Luka and how the how this team has figured a way to win with three of their best defenders out. No, I completely concur. I mean, concur rather. And obviously, this organization has um, been dealing with a lot in terms of injuries and the like. But I mean, the common denominator throughout this whole seven game stretch is Luka Doncic's insanity and wins. So, I mean, who knows what the sort of trajectory of this team is. I still don't think that they've found their identity, especially with all their guys out and what have you. But I mean, winning games rather, or at least the fact that they're picking a direction, I think is important to me. Yeah, they're they're yeah. winning. They're not just like kind of playing 500 basketball amidst this stretch. They're taking care of business against bad teams. This is a team that has historically not done good against bad teams and has always like failed to close the door. Like even as, you know, early on in the season, we saw this Mavericks team succumb to multiple really bad losses against bad yeah. teams where they just couldn't shut the door or they'd leave the door open. Like a, that Thunder game comes to mind when we were up 16 with like four minutes left, of course, and had a historic meltdown. So the fact that they're at least doing something and they're going in a direction, whether it be losing or winning, I think that that's my main positive away to take away from this because you know, the worst place to be in today's NBA is treading water slash, you know, just perpetually being in that media mediocre zone. Right. Yeah, so they're at least doing something amidst mm -hmm. all this. And that's, I think what's the most positive thing to come out of this stretch. And uh, we will be getting all into it, dissecting Luca's 50 point game versus Spurs and this latest Mavericks versus Rockets game. And of course, it's the rest of the seven game win streak overall. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor.
All right, Jaron. So getting into it, looking at this Spurs game here, the Mavericks led up 125 points here. Let's go ahead and like start with the negatives. What in this game rubbed you the wrong way in terms whether whether it be like the Mavericks perimeter defense, um, some role players having a bad shooting night or inability to step up? What do you think caused this to become just a one point game down the stretch for the Mavericks? Yeah, I mean, I think flat out, you know, it comes down to defense. Uh, this team, of course, they're hampered through injuries, but I think this is probably the worst game scenario. Uh, where we've seen defense come into such a big factor. Uh, let's see. I, I know it was like we see. We even saw Sohan hit a few threes, uh, and he's like an eighteen percent uh, three point shooter this year. Yeah. Um, Keldon Johnson, he was on fire. Uh, like I mean, that's just Keldon Johnson right there. But we even saw uh, you know Zach Collins make a few. I'm gonna say and um, McDermott. Uh, like those bench guys, you know, they came up huge for this squad. In San Antonio, they were making a lot of mid-range shots as well. Um, and, you know, as soon as the Mavericks seemingly kind of picked up on the perimeter defensive side, it just seemed like inside it was collapsing. Uh, I know this was the first game that broke Christian Woods, like a two-block streak. Um, and, yeah, I mean, in large part, the Mavericks, you know, they they did figure it out at one point. They figured out how to guard the perimeter, but the, the Spurs instantly uh, clicked and they were scoring inside. I want to say Trey Jones. Like all these guys, you know, they got easy buckets inside just because of the Mavericks lack of, um, you know, defense in general, uh, whether it was perimeter or defending inside, like the Mavericks seemingly have to commit to one of the two if they want any chance at winning a game. Yeah, as injury riddled as the Mavericks are, it, they almost just don't have the personnel to be able to hold up sometimes. I think yeah. that it's like all these defenders on the Mavericks right now have like a certain shelf life of how long they can play good defense. Like you'll see maybe Luca be able to become the second coming of Oscar Robertson in terms of, you know, getting all these steals and getting in every single passing lane and becoming this insane off ball defender. And then there'll be just a periodic stretch where he's just letting guys get back by him on backdoor cuts and he's failing to close out on guys on the wings. And I, you know, I just, you can't really blame this team though, just because of the lack of, you know, of their personnel being gone and what have you. But, you know, I saw specifically in this Spurs game, the Mavericks did play some zone and some matchup zone throughout stretches in this game. And one uh, sort of thing I particularly noticed was just the amount of cuts that the Spurs were able to get. I mean, obviously, Sohan's kind of a dynamic cutter. That's one of his strong suits, just slashing to the basket and coming off down screens and what have you, just going back door. But the Mavericks let him, McDermott, um, you know, even Keldon Johnson a couple times, like be able to just come off like curls and DHOs and just beeline to the basket with like virtually no resistance. That's, you know, a product of you being behind on your rotations, not being able to, you know, move uh, when your guy doesn't have the ball and kind of getting lackadaisical at times. Dinwiddie's defense has definitely fallen off in this stretch compared to where it was at the beginning of the season. And, you know, we still see these guys really kind of clutch up and jump passing lanes and, you know, get those, you know, sort of nifty off ball um, turnovers that they're able to generate for themselves and steals. But I feel like, you know, throughout this seven game stretch with the Mavericks top three defenders being out and Josh Green, Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleber, we're really starting to see, how volatile things can shift in terms of if 
you know, they let the, the cracks slip open on one possession defensively, then they're, they're really just not able to patch that wound until they get to the next time out mm-hmm. or something of that nature, because I, I'm finding that di- dribble penetration um, through whatever team, whether it be in this Houston or the San Antonio game, is leading to a lot more points than it was at other points in the season for this Mavericks team. I mean, I think the Mavericks at one point were like top five in defense for like a very uh, sort of little margin there, but I can't imagine that they're anywhere close to that now because they're, they're only, you know, they just don't have the personnel to be able to patch multiple wounds at a time. I mean, Christian Woods doing as good of a job as he can as a rim protector, all of his insane block games, you know, he had like five blocks against the Rockets, another one. Yeah. Um, which was insane, just as he did in the first or uh, the second Houston game right before this one. But, you know, that's against a, a smaller team who has, you know, one big man that they run out who's, um, despite how offensively skilled he is, I mean, I think it's safe to say he's not like the most insane laterally quick or vertical center in the world in Alperin Shingun. So it's not like, you know, you know, and KPJ and Jalen Green tend to go up with some, sort of questionable shots at the rim their shot selection yeah and their shot diet is um when they when they get going they they just think that they can make anything in the planet whether it be a 360 between the legs layup or whatever so i think wood definitely benefited from that and i think he's been doing a good job of being able to guard down when he gets switched on to these smaller guys and um you know especially with inside like 15 feet but I, I mean, I'm still like hesitant to label him a pure rim protector. I know it's, it kind of sounds ludicrous, this, you know, with him having this insane defensive stretch. But I mean, if the when the Mavericks perimeter defense like truly like funnels guys towards him, you know, an Eric Gordon or, you know, even some of the more unathletic guys mm-hmm. on the Rockets were able to finish over him, right? And, you know, it's not, it's more like he's been doing a really good job when switched on to these smaller guys, but it hasn't been like, Oh, he's just a standstill, like true drop coverage rim protector where he's going to just use his insane verticality and length to be able to basically uh, stray off any opponents that attack him at the rim. So that's still a prevalent need for this Mavericks team. And we've seen that even in this stretch um, to a certain degree, you know, it hasn't been the biggest need like woods done as good as he could, like I said, but it's definitely been, um a prevalent issue but obviously even more so than that has been the perimeter defense that i mean they just can't seem to string multiple possessions in a row together that are actually good possessions i mean even in a game where the rockets only scored 106 you might look at it at first glance be like oh that's not terrible but the rockets or the mavericks really benefited for from some kind of bad shot selection in that second half and just a young team kind of starting to rush things in the clutch the rockets um, had I mean there were there were a lot of there were a lot more doors open for them to score a lot more than they did no for sure uh you know one thing that really stuck out to me at least in the San Antonio game was uh you know with Christian Wood being on the floor it you know as you alluded to like seconds ago it, it really hampers your rim protecting I know he's had some really high block games but even still I wouldn't label Christian Wood as an elite uh elite rim protector uh you know through three quarters, pretty much of that whole game, the Mavericks were sticking with the Spurs in the rebound category. And you could kind of tell, you know, whenever the Mavericks weren't really guarding the perimeter, at least they were sticking with the Spurs in the rebound category. The second they pretty much made an adjustment to kind of commit to perimeter defense, uh, Yaka Perto grabs what, like 15? Yeah, they were bringing in McKinley Wright, who yeah. 
obviously he's a smaller guy. Um, um Frank got no, some but good I mean, run in that game. Yeah, he got some actually really good run. Mm-hmm. But the Spurs out-rebounded the Mavericks by 22, and I want to say majority of that uh, like margin was pretty much through the whole entire fourth quarter. I know, as you said, McKinley Wright and a lot of smaller guys were in the game, but even still, I mean, the Mavericks have to make commitments, and it's just because of their lack of defensive personnel. Yeah, and I mean, that need can be alleviated if the Mavericks had like another rim-protecting yeah. center who's also able to know effectively box that just somebody a little bit bigger because we see when the Mavericks go against these like true seven footers and like a Yaka Pearl he's really just able to um make his presence known down low in all aspects of the game even if he's just chilling in the dunker spot all game or he's you know just being involved in those pick and rolls with Kelvin Johnson or those little short rolls where he gets his push shot like 10 feet away from the rim it's still pretty evident that you know, the Mavericks are lacking in that department when, you know, I mean, there's just nothing they can do to, yeah. you know, basically try to mend his effect on the game whatsoever. I mean, 19 and 15, I mean, he's a really good player and he'll have nights like that, of course, but it didn't seem that that was more like as much of him going beast mode as it was just like the Mavericks not having the personnel to deal with somebody like that. And I mean, I get exactly an extent centers of you know his category tend to get played out of playoff rotations and what have you but I mean the Mavericks are going to face some dynamic big men here soon um especially in this coming stretch um just in sort of all facets of the game right um you know we look ahead to Saturday when the Mavericks will be playing the Pelicans they'll be placing facing Valanchunas he's a guy who's probably going to be prevalent in the Pelicans rotation come playoff time regardless just because of what he is able to do offensively. Um, Even if he, to an extent, obviously has to be this kind of drop coverage standstill guy and doesn't have the ability to switch on the perimeter as much. He's probably going to give them issues in that game. I mean, even with Maxi back, the Mavericks are just still lacking that true rim protector. Um, So that that's been evident, I think in some of these games, even though that hasn't been the biggest need, but you know, uh, in terms of the perimeter defense, I think the Mavericks maybe had a good perimeter defense pre Josh Green and Dorian Finney-Smith being out. I wouldn't go as far as say it's great. I still think they're like one wing away or another guy who can effectively guard the opposing team's best point guard, you know, night in, night out. I don't know how much they could use maybe a little more foot speed. But, you know, with these injuries, this it's just like you're relying so heavily on Tim Hardaway Jr., Luka Doncic, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Exactly. To, like guard the opposing team's best player every night. I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr. was attempting to try and stick Keldon Johnson a lot of that game, and he was just simply shooting over him or getting by him on backdoor cuts. Tim lost him within the flow of the offense if Keldon Johnson had any sort of off-ball movement all game. And it's just a tough ask for those guys. I mean, it's we've seen these guys play defense time and time again. We know that, you know, particularly with Dinwiddie and Doncic, that, you know, they'll have their – sort of like five minute stretches where all of a sudden they just look like, you know, the second coming of Marcus smart for like whatever reason, but that's not something that's consistent with those guys. We, we have enough evidence, I think, to, you know, be able to label those guys as average to good defenders, depending on the night, but it's not, those guys aren't sustainable, like long-term solid defenders, like the Mavericks have in Finney Smith and green. Yeah. And 
I mean, I just don't know how much more there is to take away in um, regarding this other than the fact that it's a big personnel issue. And, you know, obviously the Mavericks are dealing with like two major injuries right now. They could still probably serve to have one more guy, but there's not much more to really harp on besides, you know, those guys. I'd like them to be less lackadaisical in terms of their defensive effort and try to um, be a little bit more attentive because I've noticed them get lost off ball a lot. But, I mean, at the end of the day, this comes down to you not having one more guy to fill that void amidst these injuries. And just the fact that those injuries have been persistent throughout this stretch. And, you know, you can see how it's starting to catch up to this team at this point. Yeah. You know, I figured at least with Tim Hardaway, even with Spencer, for that matter, I think Luca gets a pass in this scenario, but with the sort of, yeah, cause he's been carrying such an offensive load. I would yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in the case of Tim Hardaway and Spencer, I, especially with this stretch of, you know, a lot of our top defenders are out. Uh, I would expect them to at least try and pick up the load, but with Tim Hardaway, you know, there's been times where it just doesn't even look like he's on the court. It seems like a four on five situation at times. Um, now to Tim's credit, you know, he's still somewhat scoring like this Rockets game, but some games he's just non-existent on both ends of the floor. No, hundred percent. And I mean, that that's in, in large part, I feel like that's why, you know, Sohan had 20 points because yeah. the Mavericks were not able to, I mean, just stick with him. I mean, he's not even really a dynamic offensive player, but he's a guy who's moving a lot around the perimeter and, um, you know, trying to knife his way into the paint from different angles, and it ended up working out for him. Uh, not to mention, you know, the fact that Dwight Powell and Bertons have looked really rough as well off the bench. Whenever, in whatever minutes Davis has got, I mean, he seems like he's always behind on his rotations, trailing guys. Yeah. I mean, you kind of expect that Dwight – is fouling quite a bit throughout this stretch. Um, he just has no help on the back line. You know, he does get some minutes with Maxi, which definitely helps him a lot and helps his effectiveness on offense as well, um, just because of the spacing that it allows. But you can kind of see how, you know, when guys are getting funneled to to him or Dwight's having to switch on to a guy, he's not a he's not able to shift his hips to get in front of a guy, nor is he um, really able to. Uh, protect the rim in any sort of capacity he's bringing his arms down a lot when you know because he just doesn't have the verticality well not not the verticality but he just doesn't have the length on yeah on no. defense to be able to contest with some of these guys and he ends up bringing his hands down and he's been over fouling a lot and Reggie Bullock I think you know he's the one guy who still is you know here out of all those wings and Kleber that are injured right now but he's been having a really rough go at it. It seems like he's getting lost in all his pick and roll coverages. And he, he seems like he's going under on a lot of screens really lazily and to the point to where like, you know, the opposing team's point of attack ball handler is able to just blow by him before he even gets a chance. Yeah. Things of that nature. And I don't know, that's kind of been disheartening because I, I get, I'm not saying that he's solely responsible for any of this and that he, should have to carry all of the defensive burden amidst everybody being out, but you'd like to see him kind of maybe try to invigorate some life into this Mavericks defense and, you know, kind of bring a little more fire, probably, you know, being the only kind of like known defender out there and he's getting lost quite a bit and pick and roll coverages. And it just seems as if he's not really able to stick guys like he was last year to an extent 
this has kind of been a problem with him since the beginning of the year. I mean, he's had some decent games, especially when he's shooting the lights out, but in games where his three-point shooting, I mean, even if he's just having an average game, but in games where his three-point shooting isn't just completely popping off and he's having a great game, his defense just doesn't seem as fiery or as um, spirited as it was last year, and he's not really being able to stick guys as much. No, for sure. Uh, You know, with his, I mean, I don't know how you want to tally it, but absence is what I would call it. Uh, through some of these games, we've seen McKinley, right? We've seen Frank Nielakina kind of get actually valuable minutes. And to their credit, you know, they've, I figured, uh, or like, I've thought that they've played a really well uh, with the role that they're given. Um, but yeah, you know, to Reggie's credit or not credit, but to Reggie Bullock to add to it, um, you know, his, his one-on-one defense has been, I, I will definitely say it's been better. Uh, but like you said, you know, whenever it comes down to the pick and rolls or whatever, his decision-making is just a little lackluster. Uh, we even saw, I want to say whenever Sohan made his three-pointers, I want to say he was going under, which is, you know, honest, like who wouldn't go under on a screen against Sohan where he's at the top of the key. But, you know, even still, Reggie's just he making bad decisions. quite a bit. Like, yeah, I, I get letting him shoot in that scenario. But, there, I mean, there's been a lot of times where he was kind of just him or Tim would let Kelvin Johnson shoot over them. Yeah. Um, you know, they would let Kevin Porter Jr., I mean, they were just really late to, you know, any time that they were trying to bring a double on Kevin Porter Jr. or Jalen Green that second half, the Mavericks seemed like really late to try and help on that. Like like I said, the Mavericks comeback, I felt like was more of a byproduct of the Rockets kind of just getting ahead of themselves, being a young team and having some poor decision-making offensively in terms of their shot diet versus the Mavericks actually like streamed together a bunch of stops to no, exactly. really hamper the Rockets, you know, it, it didn't, it kind of seemed more of like an escape win versus like, Oh, the Mavericks started to run away with this game. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but those are, you know, obviously some of the negatives defensively, we wanted to start the podcast with that because you know, there obviously are quite a bit of positives here in terms of what the Mavericks have been able to, to do uh, to sustain throughout this stretch, a stretch where they've been as injury riddled as we said. And I mean, it starts at the top with Luka Doncic and Christian Wood and, Christian Woods instillment in the starting lineup and how that has, I mean, in a way, I think that's almost like opened up things for Luca to an extent in terms of his individual offensive game too, which I think is an interesting thing we might explore here in a second, but there's been, you know, obviously probably, you know, maybe the best little stretch of Luca Doncic's career right here in these last five to seven yeah. games where he's had a two fifty plus point games 160 plus point game um you know just obviously having to carry an increased offensive burden with you know it sounds weird to say because all the guys that we mentioned that are out of course are defensive guys but I mean they do carry an offensive burden from the standpoint of how many shots they're eating up you know the Mavericks are shooting a lot more threes when all those guys are playing those you know Josh Green adds some dynamism in terms of what he can do in that second unit coming off the bench, being able to penetrate and kick and being able, you know, to be used as a short roller. So like there's some different avenues that they're missing offensively with those guys out. And I, I feel like it's an increased sense of urgency for Luca to carry the offensive load. And I mean, it's yeah. very like 2017, 18 Harden-esque where it's just, you know, it, he just casually is getting like 30 to 40 points. Like not even like even on the off night, like it seems like he had 39 versus Houston. He had a pretty bad first half. Like, it just seemed, you know, I mean, his usage rate is exponentially high right now, but he's somehow, you know, sustaining this 
yeah. amidst um, how much stamina that takes. What have you really gathered from Doncic's recent stretch of just complete and utter dominance? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think before this sort of seven game stretch with Luca, like we for sure take him for or took him for granted at times. I think that this seven game stretch has definitely showed me at least that Luka Doncic might be the most like one of the most elite offensive players of all time. Uh, And, you know, this Rockets game is really just a good telltale or a a really good say of, you know, what he's able to do it like in just one half of basketball. I want to say at halftime, he had like 12 points. And by the end of the game, of course, he finished with 39 and he was just so dominant at getting to the foul line. He finished 18 of 22 in free throw categories, which might be like his best of the season. Um, But yeah, I mean, just how dominant Lucas played, you know, getting inside the paint uh, majority of his points, even in the 60 point game has been coming from inside. Uh, You know, he's of course had two other 50 point games and majority of those were coming from inside. Uh, You can kind of tell, especially in this Rockets game that, you know, tired being tired was definitely catching up to him. Uh, you could see the stamina sort of, I guess, catching up to him. You know, he's taking some stupid step back threes, as we would see like last year or the year before where, you know, Luca has these tough stretches where he just gets tired. And, you know, I can't blame him for that. But Luca was able to quickly like pretty much just, hey, like, OK, let's play basketball. Let's win this game. And that's exactly what they did. I think the most intriguing thing that he's done throughout this stretch is his ability to affect winning in different ways yeah this has been a stretch where like you know Luca will sort of have stretches where he does different things in terms of oh he's shooting really good this week or he's attacking really good this week or you know he's operating in the mid-range more this week but it seems like on a game-to-game basis you know depending on what's working for him and what's not he's adjusting accordingly like we saw him go more to the mid-range in that Rockets game and then he came out and was a lot more aggressive in that second half in terms of trying to get to the rim regardless of the defender was, you know, regardless if he had a really lengthy guy and, you know, Usman Garuba over him or Jabari Smith Jr., he was getting to his spots regardless. And I think in in past, I don't think everybody, anybody's necessarily been able to stop Luka, but I think Luka definitely mismatched Hunt. And he, you know, he, he tends to, you know, try to shy away from better defenders at some points if, you know, it means that it can take a little bit of a workload off of him and he can, you know, get to his spots easier, even if it doesn't basically, even if it doesn't benefit the Mavericks spacing and, you know, they have to sort throughout 10 seconds just to get the right mismatch. You know, Luca will go to that um, even early on in the season, but I think throughout this stretch, he hasn't really cared who's in front of him. He is basically like, you know, I'm going to get to my spot. I know how good I am and we're going to get the shot that I deem applicable like if i am you know if we're if tim hardaway jr if the play designed is for him to get a wide open corner three luca will force the issue to the very last second if that if his man hasn't rotated over and make a mid-air swing pass even if it just seems completely you know improbable or whatever and just him being able to affect the game um throughout different aspects of you know his offensive play styles and being able to adjust accordingly, you know, in tandem with, I think just a absolute, like, for lack of a better term, like not giving up mentality in terms of who's on him. Uh, that's, I think, been 
you know, I mean, that's not the sole reason, but that's definitely, I think, part of the reason amidst his success in this stretch, which has just been, you know, completely insane and unprecedented. Yeah, I think one, you know, sort of thing that really has stuck out to me through this stretch as well is just been his decision making uh, and not just the decision making, but pretty much, you know, midair decision making. I mean, I just um, I kind of wanted to bring this up, but the Mavericks only had five turnovers in that Spurs game. And despite, you know, all these defensive woes that we've mentioned, this Mavericks offense, um, you know, albeit with like very limited personnel off the bench right now is hyper efficient anytime Luke is on the floor. I mean, yeah. you know, yes, he'll have some games where he has like four turnovers or whatever, but he's leading. I mean, I'd be interested to like go to some of these second spectrum stats and just seeing like open looks generated and whatever, but it almost seems as if the Mavericks are getting a – like competent shot on every single possession like not they're not taking a whole bunch of like end of shot clock haymakers or anything it seems as if like there's being a good shot generated almost every possession when he's on the floor yeah and it's quite literally because of Luka Doncic I mean just his decision making has been insane I know the athletic and I feel like it was Tim Cato wrote it uh but they put out an article today and I haven't gotten the chance to read it yet but they the title of the article was like a step-by-step of how to stop Luka Doncic. And I'm sure at the end of that article, it's going to be, you still can't stop him. Um, yeah, no, that's definitely going to be the summation of it. at the Yeah, end. but <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, just this stretch of, I mean, really this whole season for Luka has just been incredible. Uh, of course, you know, the 60-point game sticks out and everything. But man, I mean, this has for sure been the best stretch of Luka's career. And I think this season has been quite, I mean, there's no words to describe it. No, yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, now that we've talked about the Mavericks' defensive woes and just stretch, but we've also talked about how Luca has catalyzed and led the the wagon for the Mavericks in this seven game stretch, and you know, been able to kick it into another gear to essentially lead them to this win streak. Let's talk about some of the other guys on this team. Um, I'm going to save Christian Wood for last because I think he's like the only like true. Um, positive throughout every single game in the stretch you know a guy who since getting into the starting lineup has proven himself to be a capable defender even at times not like elite definitely a capable defender and a guy who's you know offensive production on a night out night in basis is um benefits hugely from playing with Luca all the time I mean I saw a stat that Andy Bailey posted earlier I think of the ringer I believe um, where the on-off numbers um, with Luca and Wood were just night and day in terms of how effective they are together. Yeah. And, you know, so he's a guy that I definitely want to get into because, I mean, I, I think he's put up – he's he has to have got 20 points in almost – at least 20 points in almost every single one of these last seven games. But I want to look at some of the other role players. Obviously, some other guys have had an opportunity to play amidst this stretch, uh, like a McKinley Wright, like a Frank Nitlikina. Um just kind of across the board, you know, these last two games and even more so obviously this win streak. Um, let's start with the starters. What what have you got from the Tim Hardaway Jr. and Spencer Dinwiddie positions in this recent stretch? Do you think Spencer's creation has uh, fell off a bit or do you think or it like comes in spurts? That I guess that's my question in terms of him. And um, with Tim, I mean, how how much longer do you think his sort of oh, really good shooting night and then really bad shooting night and just perpetual cycle of that. How long do you think that's going to be sustainable? Yeah, I think 
I mean, if the Mavericks want him to work out, it's going to have to be sustainable the whole entire season. Um, but, you know, with that being said, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, I think sort of his playmaking has been shot in spurts. Uh, I forget which game it was where he had 25. I want to say it was that New York game uh, where he had 25 and they were like a really good 25 points. Uh, but since then, I don't know. I've just, Spencer just had a New York game though. I thought a lot of it was yeah, like off ball. He was just, he had a, he got a hot shooting night and he was able to drain a lot of threes. But I mean, even in this Spurs game, I believe he had 11 points and I, his, he went five for 12 from the field. He just hasn't been as insanely aggressive, particularly from a playmaking perspective. He's still pushing the, uh, he's still pushing the issue in transition and yeah, yeah. he has done a good job like uh, attacking off closeouts and things of that nature um when guys are overzealous you know closing out on him and he's been able to get to the basket for some of that stuff and obviously in that Houston game down the stretch he was very timely with that mid-range jump shot that was able to propel the Mavericks to a uh, I believe a three-point lead there in clutch time when he hit that mid-range jump shot and like with about 10.5 seconds left but overall, I just don't feel like we've been seeing as much offensive creation for him. And I, I feel like they've been deferring to Luca a little more, which has been surprising in a stretch where they have all these injuries. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, Spencer, I like what you said about the transition offense. He's really been the guy that's pushed it. But other than that, you know, I just really haven't seen a whole lot from him. Yeah, no. Um, what do you think of Reggie's offensive game? I mean, I think, I think he's been shooting better. But outside of that, I still – would like for him to take a little bit more. It feels like he is almost like scared to shoot at times. If it's not a completely like wide open three with nobody within like five feet of him. Um, you know, he's had like some seven, like, you know, six, eight point games, things of that nature has been hit, hit, hit some timely threes, which has been a nice change of pace since earlier than season. He's definitely showed that he can still shoot the ball, of course, but that in tandem with his defense being very inconsistent has Definitely not like, I guess he doesn't hold the same value that he did for me last year. Yeah. Now I know he could easily turn this around as he has in years previous where the turn of the new year really is just the start of something special for him. But what have you been able to surmise from his recent stretch? Yeah. I mean, I think Reggie, uh, he's to sum it up, he's finding a way to get it done. Uh, we've seen games where he goes again, one of eight from the three point line and then, We've seen games in like like this rocket scenario where he has eight points on two of six shooting. Um, like I just think pretty much summing it up, like he's he's definitely more consistent. Uh, and really just through this seven game stretch, he's really been more consistent. Um, but you know, even still, Reggie, his defensive woes have really hampered the Mavericks, being that he's arguably the top defender uh, on this team, minus maybe Frank or McKinley Wright. But in terms of the starting five, he's been the top guy. I think you can make an argument for Christian Wood. But regardless, you know, Reggie's had his woes on defense and it's sort of trickled into offense. Sometimes we've seen him miss a lot of open threes, uh, which has been kind of surprising. I feel like he would make the open ones and miss the contested ones, but it's kind of been like the Tim Hardaway effect where he will not make an open three, but he'll make a contested three. Um, and I mean, Reggie's shot, I, I definitely will say like, it looks the same every single time it goes up. It's just sometimes it's off the back iron and sometimes it goes in. No, very, very true. And I mean, he's had some times where he's gotten in transition, but I mean, I think his one dimensionality as a player has been a lot more limiting in this stretch because of the Mavericks, like lack of 
creation and what have you than we saw at post Dinwiddie trade last year. Like yeah. you, you know, when the Mavericks had all three of those guys creating, it's like it, it led to a lot more open looks for, for Reggie, it felt like. So, you know, I think, you know, there still is a reason to believe he can turn around. But, I mean, he has also at the same time, you know, I think has to be viewed as a tradable asset for the Mavericks because he's just not moving the needle like he once was, you know. Um, but we'll see if he's able to turn around to extend. It's just nothing like nothing that makes you, you know, jump out of your seat with him um, yeah. versus like games where he'd have like those like six or seven three-pointer games last year. Like we're not getting any of that. Um, you know, you mentioned that Tim Hardaway Jr., you think that this the Mavericks will be able to sustain his up and down play. Do you think, you know, do you think like once everybody gets back from injury, like, you know, you can live with the 42 point Tim game and then the zero point game, the next game. I mean, obviously that's hyperbole, but yeah, you, you get what I'm getting at to an extent. Um, or do you think that, you know, the Mavericks, this is going to come back to bite them at some point, um, especially, you know, with Tim's basically hit or miss games. And if it, starts to catch up to them in some games where they they really need his shooting to come into fruition do you think that um it actually is going to be sustainable so i think the mavericks are whether or not they're gonna like it or like whether or not it's good it has to be sustainable is the thing that i'm trying to get at Uh, yeah the mavericks you know they're gonna win 99 percent of the games they play where tim hardaway scores 25 plus points on amazing shooting uh, now the games where he has six points on, you know, two of 12 shooting, uh, those are the games that the Mavericks are just going to have to survive. Those are going to have to be the Luka 50 point games. And it, I hate to say it, but you know, if Tim Hardaway is, you know, scoring 25 points, like I said, like they're going to win the game. Uh, the success is like really driven through Tim Hardaway's success. And I don't like saying that, but, uh, pretty much my point getting at is it's going to have to be sustainable if they're not going to trade him. Yeah, I mean, even in these games where the Mavericks have been able to win with him having stinkers, I mean, it's been against very, very, you know, weak teams or yeah, like in that next game where Luca had like 60 and had to basically do everything and Tim had a really rough game in that one. It was against a RJ Barrettless and Jalen Brunsonless Knicks. Like, you know, they're just squeaking away. Like if you know, when we play Thursday versus Celtics, they would not be able to get away winning <laughs> the game unless Tim goes out and scores 25 plus, you know, as you mentioned. What do you think of the kind of flurry of the, or the conglomerate of guys off the bench that have been getting more run in this recent stretch with everybody being out? Um, you know, let's start with McKinley Wright. Do you think that Jaden Hardy should be getting more run than him? What have you seen from him as he's kind of got like 10 to 20 minutes, kind of depending on the game? He had some, you know, he hasn't necessarily been having some insane offensive workload. He's typically out there with like two other creators, like a Luka, uh, Luka or a Dinwiddie, but he's been doing a really good job defensively and you know when he's asked to play making spurts you know outside of you know guys going under him because they know he can't shoot on pick and rolls he's done about as good of a job as I think we could have hoped he's steady he hasn't turned it over much what have you gathered out of his recent stretch yeah you know I I like the point of you know through this different summation of like guys being out like he's been honestly like the main defender off the bench minus Frank uh, like him and Frank have been the two guys off the bench that have really brought a defensive pressure that to be quite honest, the Mavericks just haven't had all season outside of Josh Green off the bench. Um, now in the the argument of Jane Hardy and McKinley, right? I think it kind of just depends on what you need, especially from a winning scenario. Uh, you know, the Mavericks their top three defenders are out. McKinley, Wright Is definitely more of a defensive type of or defensive minded player. So in that scenario, I feel like you just have to play McKinley, right over him. 
I know in the Rockets game, he didn't have the most effective game, but in, you know, Spurs and past few games, he's had a really, really uh, like positive effect on the Mavericks. Uh, again, you know, he has to sort of play with the Spencer Dinwiddie and Luca while they're both on the court, but it, it sort of makes him, I guess, just uh, like irresputable in the offensive end. Uh, I know I want to, was it the Spurs game where he had like six points or something like that all yeah, coming inside points, the paint? Yeah. Um, like that was honestly maybe the best game he's had all season, but I, I've just really liked what I've seen on the defensive end. He's able to pick guys up from pretty much full court. I mean, even, I mean he um, can guard guys up to about like that. Yeah. To about like six, five, six, six. We've seen him like switch mm-hmm. on to Keldon Johnson a few times. We saw him have to guard KPJ in that Rockets game and like, you know, while he, you know, guys can shoot over him. And of course he's not going to be the perfect defender on really anybody over six, three, he's still able to use his foot speed and lateral quickness to stay in front of guys and honestly limit them to an extent more so than he should be able to at his height, which has been pretty impressive to me. Yeah. Um, next up, you know, we kind of already glossed over Dwight Powell, his, you know, defensive uh, inabilities, but offensively, I mean, it's kind of just been same old, same old Dwight Powell, like, some games where the pick and roll coverage is good by the opposing team center. He gets, you know, severely limited and doesn't have really too much of an effect on the game versus like games like in the Houston game where Shingoon has a hard time. He's more of an undersized center uh, being able to um, switch and being able to, you know, be really decisive in terms of going with a big or um, hedging and coming up top to the, uh, the ball handler and the screen and roll. We saw a game where Dwight Powell was able to, you know, get to the free throw line a lot, got fouled a lot. So it, it kind of just operates on a game to game basis with in terms yeah. of his effectiveness. Same with Bertans. Just really matters if he's making his threes or not. And if he's running out in transition a little bit, um, he didn't really get any too much run in the Houston game, but he played a little in that Spurs game. Uh, I do want to mention Frank's offensive game. You know, you've talked a little bit about his defense, but um, obviously didn't really provide too much in the, you know, Rockets game, but did you see anything from the Spurs game where, you know, he had a season tying high nine points? Um, you know, he had a few times where he pulled up for a mid-range shot, kind of actually operated well in space and used his, um, like, offensive intangibles to be able to create a shot, whether it be off, you know, just attacking off a closeout, shooting a mid-range shot, or um, kind of uh, basically uh, sort of, you know, lounging around until he's able to get to a spot or, you know, we had a few times where he was able to take some guys off the dribble and get to the rim. Do you think that that's going to be sustainable or do you think Frank's kind of just benefiting by playing some weaker opponents um, who aren't as defensive defensively capable and he's kind of just thrust into this role for the Mavericks amidst all these injuries? I think uh, definitely on the, you know, dribble side of it, I think that's just a case of playing a weaker opponent. But Frank has also got, you know, these corner threes up. I think if he can start making those at a, at a consistent clip, uh, we'll definitely see his effectiveness more used, especially on offense. Uh, but even still, I, you know, I liked what I saw out of Frank, especially in that San Antonio game. It was just really creative offense. Or out of, out of his book, that's really creative. Um, like you mentioned, you know, he's able to take some guys off the dribble and get to the hole. He's take some mid, mid-range shots. He even got a corner three up, like in clutch time, I want to say. It was like four minutes left or something like that. Um, but I've really liked, you know, offensively what I've seen out of him and defense. I mean, he's been the main guy off the bench. No, I mean, he's probably been the best defender on this team throughout the stretch, even if he hasn't got the most minutes. 
Theo Penton didn't really play in the Spurs game. He played a little in the fourth quarter of that Rockets game. He got a little run because Tim was kind of shaky getting up from the uh, floor off one play. Yeah. Came in, hit a three. Um, I think he had like a decent defensive possession, but he still um, just doesn't have the his defense is not good enough for him to sustain his very inconsistent shooting for him to be on the floor consistently would be my brief summation of if any of her in the camp that he should get more minutes. Um, you know, I, I think if the once, you know, the Mavericks are able to get some defensive versatility back that Jaden Hardy might get some more minutes, but I do, you know, I'd like to see him more. I do think McKinley right right now probably is the smarter pick, even though, you know, obviously the bias side of me would want Hardy to play over him, yeah. if that makes any sense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty fair descriptor for, you know, everybody outside of Luca in terms of how they play in this stretch. It's just been pretty meh. There have been some guys that have stepped up more so in, off, in games offensively than they have in others, but it hasn't been like they've been doing um, anything to – really alleviate a ton of pressure from Luca. And I mean, I don't know if that's more like him feeling like he needs to carry more of the burden or Jason Kidd feeling that way. But I think he's done a very good job of knowing, you know, the situation with the Mavericks injury woes and, you know, operating accordingly. Um, Lastly, let's get into a Christian Wood stretch. You know, he had 25 points versus the Spurs, 21 points and five blocks versus the Rockets. You know, he, always seems to play really well against the Rockets. Of course, I think he knows their scheme uh, pretty well, especially, you know, how their offense operates. He's playing, you know, stellar defensively. They're pretty good even defensively in that Spurs game, even though he did kind of like um, basically outbodied by Pirtle a lot of stretches, particularly in that second half. He still took him out to the perimeter and, you know, used the three ball to um, be able to limit him. But, I mean, I, I just feel like we're seeing a lot less like wood isolation possessions. Yet yeah. he's scoring more within the offense because of the dynamism with him and Doncic. I think it's really starting to come into fruition just how they're being able to use those two together. Like they're going to those pick and rolls or going to those pick and pops almost every possession. And, you know, it's not, it's not something to withhold. And I'm glad the Mavericks are finally realizing mm-hmm. that this is their, especially in a game, um, in a stretch where they're so injury riddled, they're realizing that they have to go to something that works most, even if it is easily identifiable, identifiable, Oh my gosh. Even if it is easily identifiable by defenses and they, um, and you know, it might be predict- more predictable against a team that's more switchable and is able to defend better. Like who knows what happens against this, you know, Celtics and this Pelicans game coming up. If it's going to get, if we're going to see as much effectiveness, just because the scouting report for the Mavericks right now, I feel like is really easy to read, but I mean, would ever since Wood was basically able to, insert himself into the starting lineup amidst those injuries really at the start of this win streak. I think maybe one game before that win streak again, that first game against Minnesota was the first time he started, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah. You know, we already talked at large about his defense, but what is his offensive um, output been in your opinion? Like how effective has it been both with and without Luca? Uh, you know, Christian Wood has been quite, you know, amazing. He's been the two part to Luca. Um, that we've been looking for all season. We saw it at times through Spencer and, you know, even Christian Wood at times, but this has been like the most consistent rate of Christian Wood being the best two guy on the team. Uh, I think Seawood's rebounding has been really amazing. Uh, he's, he's able to grab a consistent, you know, two to four offensive rebounds per game in which some of them he's able to put back up for an easy two. But 
nonetheless, you know, I think Christian Wood, just his pick and roll with with Luca has been just quite, you know, something that we haven't seen all year. Uh, at least use this much all, all year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's he's better been, than him and Powell, to be honest. No, it's been way better than him and Powell. You know, Powell, whenever Maxie's not on the floor, just becomes kind of there, honestly. He's just a backup center, but not even a good backup center at that, at this point in the season. But, you know, Christian Wood, he's been amazing rim rolling. Uh, he makes some really good decisions out of the rim rolling, whether it's, you know, going up or passing to a corner three, like Reggie or Frank or whoever it is. I, I just think he's done a really good job of decision-making and also knowing, you know, when to pop. He's kind of been a little shaky on the three-pointers, like just decision-making on when to shoot and, you know, when to hold the ball or whatever. I mean, he's, I think he has the fifth highest catch and shoot percentage in the league at like 46.5%. Yeah, okay. I actually did not know that. I, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I still think it's been a little shaky. Uh, like uh, it's definitely, I think as this, as he's gotten more comfortable in the starting lineup, it's definitely shown to be more effective, but even still, you know, we see times where he puts the ball on the floor whenever he should just put up a shot. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, but at large, you know, there are, you know, the occasional kind of possessions where you question where he's going with it, you know, Oh, should you be taking this guy off a dribble? But at the end of the day, he's playing a lot less in the non-Luka minutes. And I mean, his isolation possessions are still effective when he's getting mismatches, but in these Luka minutes, we're not really seeing him being able to have to like iron out mismatches as much. He's just able to play as a free kind of spirited roller and pop guy. And when he does get a mismatch, he's able to take advantage of it by basically just, you know, making a beeline to the hoop and then effectively, you know, like being able to Euro step or just shoot over the top of a smaller guy. And I mean, he's just making everything so much more simplistic and, easy for himself in this stretch and his dynamism with Luca is really starting to get like off the charts. I mean, they just look really work really well together. I think he's like, honestly, like really elevated himself over Dinwiddie is like the distinguished second best player on this team. And he's really essential. We're going to have a podcast come out in probably a couple of days. I was, there was obviously some Mark Stein stuff that uh, dropped regarding his potential extension or non-extension, what the Mavericks prerogative will be with him going forward. Um, past the trade deadline there's a lot of stuff to get into regarding that that we're going to be doing um, in our mid-season podcast here and uh after i guess the next three games because the mavericks have three more games until they're 41 games into the season they're at 38 right now so that's definitely a discussion we're going to be have uh having once we get a chance to do another podcast um that's not just like a regular post-game podcast we're excited for that because there's a lot to uncover there and unravel and we have it all over at our twitter as well where you can follow us at mainstream underscore Mavs on Twitter um, where we, we we kind of post all about stuff like that on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, just in terms of this recent stretch, he's played amazing. And, um, you know, I don't think he's entered like that echelon of like, oh, this is the for sure number two guy next to Luca for yeah. the coming years. He definitely hasn't – I'm not that far on the hype train, but he can definitely – he definitely could serve a role on this team going forward for coming years if he continues to play like this because this has been – um, a pretty big revelation to see his ascension to the starting lineup and how it's been able to unlock some stuff within his game. Like I know some people on Twitter have been talked about, like he's technically only played like a cumulative, like 255 games in his career, even if it's stretched over seven seasons, like a lot of that was, you know, buried on the depths of a bench and things like that. Him only getting like a couple minutes when he wasn't even a rotational player back in his Detroit and Milwaukee days. So this has been really fun to watch and, you know, we're excited to see, how he is able to, you know, hold this up throughout the rest of the season. He's been, it's been really fun to watch. He's 
kind of been what we hoped KP would be uh, up to this point now that he's started to get going. So I'm glad the Mavericks are finally starting him. Hopefully it doesn't change going forward. Um, but, you know, I think that there's a lot more to unpack, but I feel like we did a good job unraveling the Mavericks offensive and, you know, defensive dynamics throughout this stretch. And, you know, we're, we're basically just at a stage where we're waiting for everybody to get back before we can really start to see the identity of this team. But yeah. I think my summation is that, like I said, at the top of the podcast, I'm happy that they're in a direction that they're winning rather than losing and that they're doing something. And, you know, while their strength of schedule has been really weak, that doesn't undermine that this has been an impressive stretch amidst how many guys have been out, even if, you know, they're just uh, whittling away at these really bad opponents and getting these like really, you know, they're winning these clutch games because they weren't doing that early on in the season when they had their full roster. So that much um, definitely shows something for me. Um, but besides that, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up the podcast. We'll be back after the Celtics game tomorrow, a marquee matchup on a Thursday night. That'll be a fun one. Uh, seven game win streak could definitely come to an end. <laughs> um, but uh, we will catch you guys here in the next one. Uh, like I said, make sure to follow us on main, at mainstream underscore Mavs on Twitter. Make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to like and comment down below if you're listening on the YouTube um, and give us a subscription on that if you feel so inclined. We appreciate all you guys that are listening, and we will catch you guys in the next one. Go Mavs. See you later. Bye-bye.